Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special Imprint Companion. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Today, uh, my sensational frequent co-host, Lexi Toliopoulos, is not here. But instead, I have the great treat of talking to one of my great friends about a, a topic which I believe he's the world's premier expert about, and that is Walter Hill. Yes, Imprint have brought out this sensational Walter Hill box set featuring films like Johnny Handsome, Broken Trail, Hard Times, The Long Riders, Extreme Prejudice, all on Blu-ray, and then a sensational 4K Blu-ray of The Driver, I decided if I'm going to talk about Walter Hill, I need to talk to a Walter. So I'm going to talk to the man who wrote a Walter Hill film, Tragedy and Masculinity in the Films of Walter Hill, Walter Chaw, whose book I am nursing. It has been annotated. It's a signed copy from the great Matt Zolazite bookstore. And he's one of my great friends. He's an inspiration to me. He's a mentor and a great friend. And I just love talking about everything. And so now I get to gush at him about a topic that he knows way more than any human being on the planet Earth besides perhaps Walter Hill himself. Walter Chaw, thank you for coming on and talking to me on an imprint companion, my friend. It's such a treat to talk to you again. You're an inspiration to me as well, Blake. It's a it's a mutual admiration society. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I, I I I love talking about Walter Hill. He's one of my um, favorite people on the planet, and one of my favorite filmmakers too. It's it's a it's a treat. Thanks, Blake. You are welcome. And look, this is the. I want to talk to you about your book, and I want to say that it is the most gleefully infuriating read of all time because <laughs> what happens is. I, I, I usually have, a, my family have a, a little caravan that we go down and stay away on ho- school holidays and stuff with the kiddos. It's not far away from my house, but I don't have access to a lot of my streaming stuff. So I have to take a lot of movies down. It's very like, take some physical media. And when I was reading in the summer, I lay in my hammock or lay on a beach. You know, I, I actually forgot to send you the photos. I'll see if I can find them. Sitting on the beach, reading Walter Hill's <laughs> book, Walter Charles, Walter Hill book. And what is so gleefully infuriating about it is that it immediately made me want to like study every film again and almost like watch the film then take a brief moment read your chapter about it again go back and cast my lens at it one more time and what is so fantastic about this imprint collection especially for folks in oz is that finally like for the first time almost ever we have access to these films and so when i was reading your book like i I was going through chapters and some of the films I'd never heard of. And then I was like intoxicated by this thing that I hadn't seen and the beautiful way that you wrote about it. So it was a real treat. I just like, this felt like a harmony of like, Oh my God, now that I have these, I get to go back and read all those chapters again and, and dissect them for, for your analysis, because now I have them. I can literally do what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's sort of interesting you say that because when I started writing this book is probably about eight years ago. Now that I started this project, what uh, a lot of these movies his movies had not made it to next generation yes you know they've made it to vhs they made it to dvd for the most part but very few of them had made it to blu-ray when i started the project you know i had ordered extreme prejudice from korea 
I had to order Streets of Fire from Germany, where it's called Strassen and Flammen. Um, you know, I, 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 I Strassen and Flammen is the coolest I, name ever. It's the, it's, it's, it's the only name that could be cooler than Streets of Fire is, in fact, <laughs> Strassen and Flammen. And I, uh, uh, but I was not able to, to source them easily. You know, Geronimo was a very limited Twilight Time uh, a title, I think, for a while. Uh, Broken, forget about it. You know, the, the, it was available on DVD only, I think. So a lot of these were really strangely difficult to find and that was part of my you know it, it, it spurred me on in the early going i was like this is a guy who's had such a huge impact on on modern action filmmaking in particular and and he uh, how come he's not getting this kind of respect even like technologically getting yes. this kind of respected through physical media and you know the 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 good people imprint doing the lord's work here with, with these great box sets um yeah having these six movies together Incredible. And, you know, of course, they did a uh, limited edition of the Warriors, including the long sought after uh, theatrical cut of the Warriors on, on, on Next Generation. Um, it, it's it's amazing to have that resource now. It, it just wasn't available as recently as, you know, seven or eight years ago. And you and I are such massive proponents, you know, probably being um, uh, uh, being of our generation. It's like, I want them in my library, you know, like when I'm hearing about this international movement of different studios shutting up shop for physical media and stuff. I'm, I, I've literally talked to people, especially I've got some friends. I know that you've got them too, of like friends who frequent like vintage things or garage sales or whatever. And I'm just like, if you see a pile of movies, pick them up, I'll give you the money. Like, I'm just like, do not, do not let them go to waste. And they're like, why I go, because I don't know if they're ever going to be available on physical media again. Like I don't, and they're not going to get reprinted. They're not going to go and give us these random things that never made it to next gen. So um, yeah, it's really a treat. Um, and well, well, well the, the, there are hundreds of titles on VHS that never made it to DVD, but yeah. you know, what's really alarming nowadays is like something like the French connection uncensored. They're, they're not reprinting that. Yeah. You know, I mean, the stuff that's out there is already out there. not sold out. It, it's the weirdest time. And, and I know that Australia has been hit with uh, Disney, right? They're, they're not yes. producing any more physical media for the entire continent um, after a certain point coming up. That's terrifying, you know, because those people, cannot be trusted with those archives no. they, they, they don't care you know the, the, these are the same people that would just burn entire warehouses full of film prints because they need the room yeah you know i mean they're 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 pencil pushers and 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 their accountants they, they do not care and it's and, and trusting our cinematic legacy you know our whole legacy of art to those people it's like you know in John Frankenheimer's the the train, it's like just giving the train back to the Nazis. There's something really <laughs> essentially um, wrong about the, the this course, but yeah, you, you know, I mean, it, imprint and you know, uh, others like them are so essential. They they have become our archivists. The, yes, the, these are the people that are holding on to our legacy. You know, when all these, you know, the Zaslavs and the, and the Igers and all, when all of those people trundle off into their golden parachute futures. Um, this will all be all that's left in the rubble are these people doing this work. It's like in Fahrenheit 451, right? All the people yeah. that memorize the books to recite them to each other and, be, and become those things. These, you know, small print uh, boutiques, and I'm including like Criterion and Arrow in that, um, are, are so val so invaluable to our future uh, and, and, and future scholarship. We, we've, we've just given it all away, Blake. You know, you yeah. and I were, we're growing up. It's like we, we couldn't watch these things. No, and, and all of a sudden we could, but now we're giving it all back. That's that's insane. It's it's awful, and it's even in 
even in this country, like I was talking to a friend who is in the, you know, the distribution arm for a huge studio here. And I was, we just, we frequently go back and forth on email, you know, occasionally about different topics. And one of the things that we came up with the other day is like, I, I was getting incredibly frustrated because, you know, you and I, and especially, you know, looking at this incredible box set, you know, we've got in this box set, you know, at, at least two movies from the 1970s in it. And I was just like, just out of curiosity, how many of these 1970s titles for this person's unnamed studio that they work for are available? And almost 90% of just an excerpt of the 1970s of a huge Hollywood studio has never even made it to DVD. And I'm like, this is the 1970s in American cinema, arguably the best decade ever of cinema for its whole spectrum of different things. And I'm like, are you telling me none of this is available? And they're like, no, it's like some of it's on print, some of it's there, but it's just not, it's not, it's never made the leap to physical. It's never gone onto a streaming service because there's no appetite for it. So yeah, I, I truly, I'm so, I'm so grateful and I'm incredibly proud that I've been asked to, um, uh, to be a part of some of the, the, the imprint releases in any capacity. And I'm so grateful that you, you know, um, have been a part of them uh, too, which is, and, and particularly in this one. So I want to talk to you very, very quickly. Um, I was going to go chronologically, but I want to talk to you about one because I, you know, I don't know how much we could probably go on for about five hours on this episode, but I'll try and keep it as brief as I can. But I want to <laughs> talk to you about one that I'd never seen before. And you had talked to me about this being, one of your very, very favorite uh, Walter Hill films. I want to talk to you about just the magnificence of extreme prejudice. Absolutely imperative that this job look like a civilian operation. Get down! Kiss the floor! I expect a little cooperation. Ralston, I expect you to stay out of my way. Somewhere in America, a secret war is being waged. This is a case of national security. Go. A war of deception. It's a daylight hit. I come over to talk about the bomb that went off yesterday. I got two people dead. Fought by a phantom army. Sergeant Buck Adwater killed Laos in 74. How can they be officially dead and two of them locked up in there? It's classified. Now, he's the only one that stands in their way. I got a feeling the next time we run into each other, we're going to have a killing. Termination with extreme prejudice. Anyone could be the enemy. Tell the FBI to kiss my... Want to tell me about it? I can't talk about it. I got to do something about it. Nothing is what it seems. What the hell's the military robbing banks in Texas for? And unless he can stop them... It's poison. Everything he stands for is at stake. Very unusual. What is? Ordering the termination of an American civilian peace officer, clearly loyal to the country and in the process of bringing a known criminal to justice. What we're gonna do is we're told. Right, Sergeant? Kill him. Kill him like an animal. The only thing that ever scared the hell out of me, Cash, myself we are space age high tech and we get caught by some stone age cowboy nick nolte extreme prejudice walter this is a film that has 
has been aped, has been dissected almost and autopsied seemingly by action filmmakers to make 30 of your favorite movies. And this has all of them. It's got Predator. It's got um, the Alamo. It's got like Cormac McCarthy style frontier, uh, you know, borderlands fighting and crime. Uh, it's got some Mag 7 in it. It's just unbelievable. Talk to me about this. I don't know this uh, this poem about violence and men. No, I, 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 this is my favorite Walter Hill film. It, it 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 wasn't when I started writing it. By the time I was done, I realized how much this movie encapsulates in the best way the best parts of all of his movies. You know, I think if you wanted one Rosetta Stone for understanding Walter Hill's appeal and, and lasting allure. Uh, if you will, it's, it's extreme prejudice. And for a lot of the reasons that you sort of mentioned, it's everything. It's a, it, it's the, it's the every flavored being, I guess, <laughs> of the Walter Hill. Uh, but you know, I, what really made me fall in love with it initially was Rip Torn's character yes. in it. And he's only in the first, maybe third of it. And, you know, he plays Sheriff Hank, who is the mentor to the star of the film, Nick Nolte's Jack. Uh, you know, they're, 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 they're both Texas Rangers. They're, they're just real, hardcore good old boy law lawmen and um you know rip torn really reminds me a lot of the tommy lee jones performance in no country for old men yes where you know he plays sheriff ed tom in that one and, and a lot of the speech cadence a lot of the you know the the way that that that, that he functions throughout the course of the film is, is a, as an observer of how the world has gone bad yeah has, has gotten overripe and rotten and fallen far from the tree uh, if you will. And, you know, there, there's a remarkable line that he has in it talking about how, you, you know, um, the water will always find the path of least resistance. That's why there's crooked men and crooked rivers. Um, right it's, just, it, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and the warmth and the, the kindness and wisdom that he has for Jack as Jack is just going through it. He can't, you know, he's, he's working too much. He can't talk well he can't articulate his feelings to his girlfriend played by maria conchita alonso um and, and, and you know maria conchita's character sarita has had a her ex-boyfriend played by powers booth indeed this is the best cast ever assembled perhaps. yeah it, it, it uh, is <laughs> i was just gonna say like you're just rattling off i'm like yes yeah, that that oh, this I is haven't going, gotten, you know michael haven't ironside gotten... and clancy brown and william Forsyth. come on <laughs> this is ridiculous right but but she has an ex ex-boyfriend in, in Powers Booth who's gone to the other side. So it's sort of like an infernal affairs kind of thing, you know, where you have these, or, or, or hard-boiled even, where you have these two spirit brothers or literal brothers or, you know, best friends from, from childhood who separated and gone, one's gone into the law, Jack and, and Cash, Cash Bailey has gone the other way and, and runs a little, little, little town just south of the border, uh, you know, and is a druggy and he smashes scorpions with his hands and, and he's a real bad dude but they both love Sarita and Sarita kind of makes a choice in the middle of this film to leave Jack because Jack is so emotionally unavailable and incommunicative especially after he loses the counsel of, of, of his his mentor and it, it's tragic you know it, it, it's like man just talk to her she wants to talk to you just that's all you got to do. And all he's really got for her is impatience and, and intimidation. And finally, he, there's a scene where he just yells. He's like, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, I don't want, you know, and you hear that going through a lot of Walter Hill's movies and 48 hours is a really, uh, you know, famous line where Nick, Nick Nolte's saying that, you know, 
I, I don't want to talk about my girlfriend and Eddie Murphy's sort of egging him on. You know, so throughout <laughs> there are these men in Walter Hill's movies that are emotionally closed off to their own feelings and their ability to, to express them. It's not that they don't suffer, they suffer greatly. It's that they're not able to express it. And so they begin to lose all the people that, that are poor in their lives, all the softness in their lives. And for Walter Hill, the only end for violent men is violence. There's not really you know, that's their destiny. You can maybe carve out a different one occasionally, but for the most part, if you're violent, you come to a violent end. And and that's where, you know, these characters are headed in this, in this film is this really violent wild bunch kind of shootout in this Mexican town. This modeled a little bit after the book version of the end of the getaway, uh, which they had to, to deviate from for, for the film because it's so weird. But, you know, they, he kind of brings <laughs> it back for Extreme Prejudice and then they go down there and there's a band of, ghost soldiers not 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 supernatural but they've been you know killed in action quote unquote so they can go into deep cover and form this black ops operation clancy brown is, is I, I come on can i can yeah. i tell you how unbelievable <laughs> the device of having a whole crew of ghost ghost soldiers that are manipulating this sort of undercover heist and then you've got this like very traditional like it's this two thing it's like the old cowboy and then it's a contemporary kind of vietnam post-vietnam war narrative that are like clashing together and you would think those two things don't work but it, they work gangbusters like the whole time i'm like every time those guys were off screen i was like give me those guys like that like give them 10 movies like why why am i seeing the end of them now like that cast those boys they're faces their attitudes i'm like it's unbelievable like yeah it, it, there's not there's there's not a pretty face in the movie <laughs> in the bad guys you know i mean it, they're, they're led by michael ironstein right and and there there's william Forsythe who has this really antagonistic uh relationship with, with the the, the african-american uh soldiers on the team it's like uh but yeah he's got this really antagonistic racial relationship and they do a lot of racial taunting with yes. each other and there's that element that goes throughout walter hill's films too that the very things that bring men together also start fights yes uh, if they're not friends you know it's like you know, my my closest friends that i've grown up with will call me all sorts of racial invectives and stuff because we love each other <laughs> if anybody else did that we're scuffling you know oh uh, yeah and yeah so, you know, it's funny that Hill gets this and and there's every kind of masculinity is represented in this film you know you have the computer guy who's a little bit softer who doesn't like to see the you know the mouse getting stabbed and there's there's stuff that 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 he shows the spectrum of masculinity so again you apply that that template to the rest of his films too like the warriors for instance or wherever you have these gang movies with you know these troop movies with groups of men there's every kind of man they're they're even southern comfort you know he you know he'll hire openly gay actors in the 70s and the 80s and he'll hire them and have them play like themselves he's extraordinarily progressive although he would balk at that term he doesn't you know think in those terms but what he really does sees really clearly is how men are different and how men um and respond differently to the same pressures you put these men in a pressure cooker and everybody kind of comes out looking a little bit differently you know it's funny that this movie actually shares the same cinematic universe is red heat <laughs> uh, and the, it's it, i know i don't know what it, you know because there, there's a character actor named, named luis contreras who's in it who plays lupo who's uh cash is second in command in the, in the little mexican town yes and at the very end of it he puts on cash's white blazer and says now i wear the you know hat now, now i'm the i'm the king and then you see him the same character played by the same character actor lupo very briefly selling drugs to uh, uh, you know, one of the undercover guys in Red Heat. It's the same 
cinematic universe. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's the only something that you'll ever pick up if you've spent way too much of your <laughs> life at this point <laughs> watching these movies over and over again. But, you know, I, I love it because Hill knows how to shoot action. He knows how to tell a story of a character through the movements that he makes, the way that he fights. Um, you know, the, the, the prologue to Extreme Prejudice, you see how fast Jack is, yeah. how, fa- how, how, how Hank is a perfect wingman in, in a dangerous situation, how, you know, they're poor on both sides, you know, they're, they're working class cops. And then there's, they're, they're kind of talking to like working class guys who are getting into the wrong kind of thing, trying to make a little bit of money. He's, you know, Hill's very interested in blue collar heroes you know the first three alien movies which hill was very involved in the first three you know are about three different classes of blue collar people the first one is about truckers space truckers essentially (laughs) miners the second one is about soldiers grunts as they were called referred to by carter burke in the second film and third one they're about prisoners and so it's like you know that's hill in a nutshell he's not interested in you know the the actions of kings he's interested in the actions of 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 blue collar people and again you, you only have to watch extreme prejudice to get that yeah um you know the, the the heroes and the villains are all struggling they're yeah. all struggling and they're just kind of clawing for a little space a little foothold um but yeah and the final battle clearly is uh the wild bunch he made this movie not long after uh sam peckinpah died and peckinpah was a a, a mentor a, a for, for hill someone that He'll always looked up to, and, and, and it meant, meant a lot to him to hear from Peck and Paul after his early movies. And so, uh, yeah, the, this was the, you know, and, and his, his movie Crossroads that, that, that uh, you know, that I didn't initially like, but I love now, um, was, a, was a tribute to, to his, his own father, who was a, a drummer and a, and a musician. And so, anyway, this is the one for his certified father for Extreme Prejudice. Extreme Prejudice. Even just if this was in a box set alone with a commentary track from my friend here, Walter Chaw, who's just been telling us all about it, it would be worth it. There's interviews with Clancy Brown, Michael Ironside, with the director of photography, Matthew Leonetti. There's other commentaries. There's three commentary tracks on this thing. You have to own this. This is part of it. Now, I'm going to read a quote from your book um, before talking about our next film, which is, The Lone Riders struggles under the burden of two creators with competing and perhaps even incompatible philosophies. It's like parents who disagree on the rearing of a child. If it's not at the end, uh, fatally hamstrung, The Lone Riders is at least deeply flawed, often tonally confused and atypical of Hill for its thematic shallowness. You can love pieces of it, but it's difficult to love the whole on any level other than an academic one. They were nine men. They were four families of brothers. They rode together from Missouri to Minnesota and from Texas to Tennessee. They were the most famous outlaw heroes of the West. They were known as the Long Riders. This is their story, and it's as close to the truth as legends can ever be. You don't give us no trouble, mister. I want your sons, Mr. Samuel. What do you want them for? For robbing banks and trains, ma'am. What do you think your chances are of bringing them in? It's an amazingly stupid question. Wait for them to come out. People say they got one of the youngers. People say they got the wrong younger. 
Recommended an excellent job of making heroes out of every one of those gentlemen. I think I'll write me a book. Make myself even more famous than I am. You ever been alone? Excuse me, miss. I was wondering if you cared to dance. I'd be delighted. Coming back for you. We're gonna be meeting up real soon. They got a real fat bank up there. Scouted it out myself. Northfield. You open that safe, mister, you hear? The thing could have told us he might be coming. You're robbing the bank! David, Keith, and Robert Carradine as Cole, Jim, and Bobby Unger. James and Stacy Keach as Jesse and Frank James. Dennis and Randy Quaid as Clell and Ed Miller. Christopher and Nicholas Guest as the Ford brothers. The Long Riders. I want to I want to talk about this one with you particularly because it has some great special features on this. There's two discs here. There's commentary tracks as well. But the Long Riders for me started to be so much more about the incredible performance of the Carradine brothers rather than the Keeches and the Ungers taking over the Jameses as like a, an almost like a, 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 an unfolding revisionist Western but a revisionist storytelling of the James and the, the younger gang together. So I had, I was looking at David Carradine and in the parlance of our time, I was like, kids with all due respect, David Carradine fucks in this movie. He is absolutely sensational. It's like that whole sphere of the movie pulsates with life and has all, I think all the highlighted moments of the, the younger family. This is my first time watching this. And it was such an interesting thing because I've seen so many movies with the depictions of Jesse James that it was really fascinating to watch, you know, uh, he'll pivot the movie specifically around, um, uh, you know, the kind of lesser of two keeches, if you will, um, uh, to, to be at the, the center of it. So talk to me about what, what things jump out at you and leap out at you for the long riders. Well, the Western is Walter Hill's favorite genre by yes. far. And, and he would say, and I have said often, I think in interviews that he's only ever made Westerns, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, that, that's going kind of, I'm not <laughs> sure I entirely agree, but I get where he's going. He loves Westerns. He loves the format, all the, his, his favorite directors did Westerns, Sam Beckett, Bob, Bob Aldrich, Howard Hawks, you know, the, the guys that he really talks about our Western filmmakers. And so this was his first opportunity to make a Western. And so I, I think he made allowances on this movie in terms of, 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 of control of the material that he wouldn't continue to make. And then you see that pivot pretty quickly after this because he makes Southern Comfort, which is very personal and may, maybe his most nihilistic film. I, I, I always think that movie movies. is so uncompromising. That's oh the word God. that comes to my head every time I watched it. I think I watched it like a year or two ago. Our, yeah. our, our mutual friends, you know, the Jen Johans and Jed Ayers and mm, Travis Woods mm. and Jordan recommended that we watched Southern Comfort. And I watched it and I was like, that movie is, that movie packs a wallop. I need a rest, you know, after watching oh, that Oh, it's thing. a real swallow your shotgun kind of movie. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it is grim. And, you know, to the point where at the end of it, they compare the two, the two surviving heroes with two pigs getting slaughtered on screen. 
you know that's yeah that's the vision of the film and the uh the uh, cinematographer for that movie Laz- uh andrew laszlo he draped tarpaulins all over the swamp in, in louisiana where they were shooting so that the whole thing looked miserable and the 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 actors are miserable you know talking about david carradine you know that they're miserable sludging through the swamp you know uh but but yeah it's long riders is something else to think about long riders is it began its life as a musical it was a <laughs> it was a musical written for the stage by uh, james keach who saw himself as a bit of a playwright so the material came to Hill as something that was written by James Keach and Keach was going to be in control of it. And Keach had cast himself, you know, just like Lin-Manuel Miranda had cast himself <laughs> in the main role. And even when he's maybe the least charismatic of all the people, just like Lin-Manuel, he's the worst singer in all of his musical, but he's always <laughs> the lead, you know, it's like Tarantino <laughs> casting himself in movies. So, you know, so that's partly what happened. And, and I think, you know, even if you cast Stacey Keach, as Jesse instead of Frank, you have a very different film. Very. There's no part of Long Riders where I felt like, and maybe it seems like you felt the same, where I felt like Jesse was a leader of men. I wouldn't follow James into, Never. you know, I, I wouldn't follow him around the block, much less into, you know, wild escapades on the great northern Minnesota. You know, I wouldn't, he's not a leader of men. He's like kind of a, he's a charisma vacuum almost he doesn't have the same kind of movie starness of all the movie stars that are in this movie yes <laughs> right i mean I, these guys are clearly you know and and for all the talk and, and all, all all that i applaud hill for using every different kind of masculinity with the possible exception of this and possibly another 40 hours which is a really curious film um he always knew what the strengths were of his actors and here I think he's a little, he was a little bit overwritten by James Keach, who said, well, whatever we do, I'm Jesse. And so now Hill's like, all right, you're Jesse. So, you know, what, what, what I got to ride around, I got to ride yeah. around that massive impediment of like a Jesse James it's movie where Jesse is the ma- least interesting it's person. It's massive. It's massive. It's massive. It's like saying, I'm going to make an Abraham Lincoln movie and I'm going to cast my, my, uh, my son-in-law who's never been in a movie before. You can cast anybody else. But, you know, Nerdlinger from the second floor is going to be the star. And so <laughs> that's a little bit harsh about James. But, you know, he'll never say this, you know, and I talked to Hill a lot about this movie because the very first time I met Hill, I went to his house and I was pitching him the idea of the book. I wanted his blessing. You know, I was going to do it without him, but I wanted his blessing to do yeah. it. And, you know, he invited me. He's an extraordinarily gracious and kind person. And. The first thing he says to me, though, you know, if we sit down and, you know, he's pouring me a, a glass of uh, champagne, and he says, okay, I've been warned about you. You're the guy that doesn't like, <laughs> you're the guy that doesn't like the long riders. And that, and he said that, and that was it. And I'm sitting there like, okay, well, this is not going to end well. I might even get, you know, I might, might even catch you hiding here. But I, <laughs> I said, you know, I said, I don't remember what I wrote about it. But I do know that his movies are sticky for me, that even if I don't like him the first time, I'll, I want to revisit them and yeah. I want to understand why. And that's why I'm writing this book. And it's like, that's a pretty good answer. And so we were able to proceed from there. Um, but e- even after, you know, and I've changed my mind about his, a lot of his movies, like Brewster's Millions, I never could understand, but I really like it now. Mm. I, and I love Crossroads, which I didn't like before either. But, you know, I never really warmed up to, to the long writers. And he, he, he knows that. And, you know, even right before this was going to go to print, like, you know, seven years later, he called me up one day and he's like, I'm just concerned. I just want to take have one more talk with you. 
about the long riders and and do you did did you know and i was like yeah and did you did you this and and he finally said well i just want all people understand that it was written like a piece of music that the, there's the same rises and falls that you'll find in music there's a chorus that re recurs there's this sort of that's the rhythm of it and it's not like that in my other movies and i was like okay i get that i know that it was a musical and, you know he was he was reassured that even if he couldn't win me on this one that I was at least going to give it a fair hearing. And I wrote almost more about this one than any other one because I really wanted to give it a fair hearing. And to your point, like the Carradine brothers are fantastic in it. I think they're like, really great. I, I think like maybe the best the I've, they maybe the best oh, I've ever seen. Like, like they are so light years ahead that if, if, if I was, you know, one of the great bits of, um, I guess your personal writing philosophy that I have adopted in mine is like, you know, when a movie, when a movie like works for you, you've got to write about all the things that make you feel alive and make it feel alive. And when a movie doesn't work for you, <laughs> as in your words, you've got to be a coroner for its corpse. And I feel <laughs> like the, 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 there's so much to salvage in the life. You can't be wholly mm -hmm. committed to the whole thing because there is like a rot in there at the center that he's working around, but the youngers are like Whoa. so transfixing. I feel like the youngers, even Robert Carradine as yeah. Bob Younger. Yes. I, I feel like the youngers are so good in this movie that they're frustrating. Yes. That they're so good that you're like, <laughs> can we not have this long walk with Jesse and his wife? Can, can we just not do this? You know, can we not have like, the fight with, uh, you, you know, with, uh, with, with Sam Starr? And, I mean, you're just kind of wasting my time. Because what I really, I know what I want to watch. And it isn't these guys. And, you know, even if, I, I even love the end of it. Where yeah. it's like James Keach takes center. And, and not, not James Stacy Keach take, takes center. And he's riding that train. And, look, you know, it's like, oh, God. Imagine the movie. You know, and I, I hate to be the guy who's like, I would have done this. But, you know, th there's so many things that were not exactly right, I think, for, for this film. I really believe Southern Comfort, the movie that immediately follows this is the movie that addresses a lot of those issues. Yes. That does indeed, you know, find a carotene and, and, and you know, um, front, you know, more front and center, you know, Keith. And and, and, and it figures out what it's about. It has Powers Booth in this uh, knockout performance and, and has a lot to say about, you know, men in tension with each other and with the environment and Vietnam, of course. And all these things that, you know, the Long Riders is beautiful to look at. It opens on, you know, this ride across the crest of a hill at sunset, the magic hour, you know, and you see the train. It's like everything that Walter Hill loves about the Western, all this iconography, he's filled the long riders with it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> but it doesn't hold together as, uh, for me, as, as, as compelling. You know, it just, it just doesn't really work for me. Um, the parts of it do. I think Pamela Reed is amazing. I was just going to say, I was going to say in when you were saying about when Jesse goes for a walk with his wife, I'm like, I could have taken 20 to 30 more minutes of David Carradine and Pamela Reed. Just please doing please, anything, whole fighting, fighting. <laughs> yeah. Effing the other effing, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, I was into it. She's so good. I mean, there's that scene where she stands up from the bathtub and she's completely like, you know, holding a gun. She's like completely unmanned. Yes. Uh, 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 David. You know, it's like the, there's so much power 
in her femininity and her sexuality in that moment. It's uncompromised. It's not exploitative. It's just power. And it, it's a reminder, you know, for me too, you know, this is the guy that made Ripley a woman. Yes. You know, we talked about Walter Hills as man's director and all guy flicks and everything. The level of powerful women in his movies is extraordinary and intimidating. I mean, the Warriors, which is just about boys, right? No, it's not. The, the Warriors is about mercy. The yeah. character played by Deborah Van Valkenburg. Um, you know, he, he was, but he, he spent the first part of his career, Walter Hill did, looking for a James Dean figure. And I think he found her in Streets of Fire. Diane Lane <laughs> is James yeah. Dean. She has remarkable women characters in his movies, and you know, it, you know the the uh, doctor again played by Sigourney Weaver in the assignment, and you know the Michelle Rodriguez performance in that film too. There's so many amazing women characters in his movies, and I think you know we do him a great disservice when we don't appreciate that. I want I want to pivot from the the frustration of the compelling characters not getting their attention and the faces of these amazing characters back. I want to take us back to 1975 and I want to take it to a quote from your book, Hill, the romanticist, Hill, the Western romantic and a young Hill making the decision not to see one of his heroes die because of his soft heart elements each that will come to define Hill's entire body of work. Hard times is where it starts. Now tell me, How'd you make money? I knock people down. You mean like a prize fighter? No, they're pickup fights. The money's made on bets. 1933, America had hit the skids. People were out of work and out of luck. Life was as tough as a cheap steak. Well, you've been down the long, hard road. Who has it? It was hard times. I got a husband in jail, no job and no prospects. I don't look past the next bend in a road. Columbia Pictures presents Hard Times, starring Charles Bronson as Cheney, a drifter. When I get enough change in my pocket, I'm going. A loner. Are you gonna stay the night? Not this time. A man who spoke soft. I barely know you. Yeah, but would you like to? And hit hard. <laughs> James Coburn as Speed, a born con man. All side bets, I keep 75%. That's how it works. Who can make a fortune in a day. I propose to toast to the best man I know. Me. And lose it in a minute. What the hell are you doing? You don't want no trouble. Just you pay your debts. Speed was the hustler. Cheney was the hitter. Together, they just couldn't be beat. Charles Bronson and James Coburn, together, they're a knockout. In hard times. Can I just long for, in the most romantic sense, for faces like James Coburn and faces like Charles Bronson again? Holy, holy hell, hard times is so, I mean, for as tough as it is, it's so damn beautiful. And it's so damn heartfelt and so penetrating even now. And it's pace, I think is so deceptively amazing because the pace of the film, you don't feel how much it's impacting on you because of the pace of that submersion. By the time it's got you, you're gone. Like you, 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 you're a puddle at the end of this thing. This, this really hit me hard, Walter. And when I read it in your book, I was so moved and I was aching to see it. And I'm so grateful that this is one that is included in this set. What a beautiful piece of um, sports writing hard times is, right? Yes. It's, yes. It's, it's like 
you know, it's, it's it's like an article that you read out of a vintage boxing magazine from the nineteen thirties <laughs> or something. You know, he comes in on a train at night and he goes and he, he you know he goes to an oyster shack and he uh, doesn't tell the man his name, but they they begin a partnership. And, oh my God, you know the whole courtship <laughs> that Bronson has, uh, a Ch- Cheney has with 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 his real life wife Jill Ireland who plays Lucy in the film, you know, the courtship where he's just clumsy and taxi driver, like, right. This weird, he's not, he's, he's not vocal, but he's made a plan. This is the woman I'm going to spend my life with, you know, and and that's, but she doesn't know that. And she's already making other plans. (laughs) There's the, when, when he figures that out, there's this beautiful heartbreak where he just is like, you can't just leave. Yes, I can, you know, that's it. And he leaves. And and there's, so much romance to this image i think you know especially when you're a younger man this image of stoicism of like you are the baddest guy but you're not a braggart yes you you have a lot to offer but no one knows it um you're wandering from town to town like a tumbleweed you know these really beautiful masculine archetypes you know that that end up destroying men don't get me wrong but (laughs) presented in the right way you know it plays like byron you know and and so you know um the you know the the other member of the the male trifecta in that movie is played by struther martin who can be a lot if he is not in the right role but he's so good in this role as as you know a guy who had to drop out of medical school because of his more his, his opium addictions morphine addiction we we surmise and you know he, he confesses that in a in a graveyard you know the same graveyard that we'll revisit with johnny handsome in a few years but you know he says uh you know some people don't you know, this happened to some people that that happened to, and which one are you? You know, the, the brevity of the dialogue, the brevity of the, you know, it plays like masculine haiku, you know, <laughs> the way that we talk to each other sometimes. And, you know, and how good is Coburn? He's not always good, but he's so good in this movie. And he's, he's always interesting, but not always great. And he's just so great. I think the magic of Coburn, because it's all about, like you said, it's all about casting. It's when Coburn gets to play opposite a very formidable partner, mm-hmm. he and and he has to dance around someone's energy, and that's what is so beautiful. And there's such subtlety and 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 very deft, deliberate choices made from Bronson, which is why you know he's such a magnificent actor. But Coburn gets to play the dance and do all the notes in the low register and all the notes in the high and. And Bronson gets to be very even keel. And I think that he loves that dance. I'm going to, I'm going to play with, you know, he's the counter puncher, you know, so he needs, he needs someone to be driving the momentum, but he's so the slipperier he is, the more I enjoy Coburn. So I loved him in this role because he's, he's, he's dancing around this movie. He's like so verbal, right? Yes. Yes. So like, and, 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 and Bronson is so sub vocal. Yes. Right. <laughs> you know, but, and, and, and it's like he's like a rock, and there's this, like this, <laughs> this, this, this manic bee or something. This <laughs> terrible analogy, but you know, there's something buzzing around him for the whole time. And it, you know, to your point, it, you know, they, they occupy the complete register, and then Poe becomes this real interesting emotional counterpoint. He's almost like the uh, expression of, of emotion that 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 Cheney's not capable of expressing. You know, I love that he's lying in a in a room and there's a fan blowing above him and all these images of cycles he comes in on a train he leaves on a train he it's like he's just this this thing you know he's like shane or or the john wayne character the searchers he's this 
the, the this thing that's learned skills in the wilderness that are not welcome in civilization, although civilization requires those skills to become civilization. You know, it's the great irony of Moses, right? You can lead him to the promised land, but you can't come in. And, and, <laughs> and that's kind of the role of Cheney. That's kind of the role of, you know, the Bruce Willis character in Last Man Standing, of all of these Western heroes who we need your killing ability to clear out this area and make this place safe for us. Now you got to go because now you, you got to go. go. Yeah, you gotta go. And that's Cheney. I mean, he appears for a while and then he's gone again. Um, and, and there, there's all of these different fights in this in the movie that 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 are just beautifully choreographed. And you see that again in Undisputed later on in his career. But you know, what I really love, my favorite scene in Hard Times, is when they go to the first fight and it's sort of this Cajun picnic. Mm. And he and, and Cheney sees a bear in a cage. And it's just sitting there, you know, as a bear in a cage. And maybe there's going to be bear baiting later. We don't know exactly why they have a bear there. It's never explained. And Cheney just goes over there while, you know, his, his handler uh, speed is, is, is setting up the fight and everything. And Cheney just kind of wanders over there and stands there and looks at the bear. And he'll let them look at each other, the bear and Charles Bronson, for, you know, a good minute. And it's very weird because at that moment, he does a little editing trick to make the scene even longer. He, like, reverses the film. It's the only time he's ever done that. <laughs> In his career and so that scene obviously means a lot to him that here's this guy it's almost like a kafka thing it's the hunger artist seeing the panther in the cage it was like you're seeing a reflection of who you are you're this animal who's in a cage who's, who's being asked to perform um at certain times it's, it's it's this remarkable moment a remarkably poetic moment and you know consider this is his directorial debut this is the first time walter hill directed a film um ridiculously polished uh, yeah that's i think that's when you know that's when you know prodigies when they come in and there's they 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 make a film and you're like where were the where were the hard angles where where, shouldn't there have been some more shouldn't there have been some rough edges on this it's just and especially because of the the stature of the two actors he's got in this film in 1975 are monstrous and they just come in and he's got total command of their their entire performance. I love that you use the word command because I think another malady of first movies, oftentimes, even stuff like Citizen Kane, is that there's just too much in it. Yes, you know, I, you know, I, I sound like the emperor now in uh, Amadeus. There ain't announcing Citizen Kane. I love Citizen Kane. I wouldn't change a minute of it, but it's very full, you know. Yeah, and hard stuff is almost austere. Yes. Right. It's 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 Spartan and it's patient, and it's weird to say about a bare knuckle boxing movie, but there's just so many moments like when he's walking Jill Ireland home, he's walking Lucy home, uh, and that's a long scene. Or when he's just having like coffee with her, and it's a long scene, and she's trying to get something out of him, but he's just sort of sitting there like with with, with his little smile. And you know, in fact, that the movie had more stuff it was much longer and it all had to do with lucy and hill was like i don't know that jill ireland can act he, he never <laughs> said that but i think that's what happened and so he cut jill ireland out of like most of you know most of her role got cut out of it and bronson never really forgave him for it you know Hill was like sort of like for the rest of their you know lives you know orbiting around each other in hollywood and so he'd be afraid to run into him because he's afraid that because bronson's a scary dude he's like <laughs> He, he thought for the longest time Bronson was going to, you know, punch him out. He, he he does say that there was a moment of reconciliation where he would, you know, they talked and everything was fine and everything. But yeah, I mean, Bronson held a grudge for a long time, but I think all the right choices were made. And again, for a first time director, man, 
control. Yeah, can to, I, to use your word, that's what I, it is. I know you're you're so great at this. This is one of the reasons why I love following Walter on social media is that we talk about sometimes uh, double features and you, you're great at sort of counter-programming. I'm going to offer you one this time in this show. I think hard times would pair perfectly with Koganada's Columbus. Oh yeah, interesting. Talk, talk interesting. about two very controlled first features, extremely somewhat austere almost it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. To- totally different things across gen intergenerational um really great we talked yeah. about archetypes we talked yeah. oh, sorry we talked about archetypes so of course we're going to probably finish our conversation with a film that is unabashedly uh peddling archetypes which is his incredible 1978's the driver some of the criminal types these days they uh Think that they're real cowboys. Think that they can just uh, drive around, do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it. You work for a piece, right? 10,000 up front. How do we know you're that good? Get in. You're crazy. Is that him? It wasn't him. Did you ever get caught on one of your jobs? Hasn't happened yet. Kill gives the driver's cars weight value beyond the monetary, a skin so that they're flayed in flight, scraped against concrete on their brothers. You wince in sympathy. Their metal screams are anthropomorphic. And if you watch the movie with a group, you'll find them leaning into curves and away from the crashes as if the force of gravity were working against them at the turns. I could not agree with you more. I've seen this movie so many times on 4k. It looks stunning. But I literally was reminded of this and wanted to find the quote because it resonated with me so much that I literally, in this movie, the experience of the turns and the bashes against the corners, I was doing that. I'm dodging, like I'm dodging blows in a boxing film. You know, it's so incredible. This film just is timeless and and everything about it is great. And particularly every time I watch it, I love Bruce Dern. Just one one sand grain more than I already love him. Can you talk to me about Walter Hill's kind of one of his most definitive films other than probably the Warriors, the driver? Yeah, it's it's really a fascinating thing. I mean, he was heavily inspired by, uh, you know, a, a screenplay that I read by Alexander Jacobs, I think, um, uh, for Point Blank, um, from Memory Serves, I'm hoping Memory Serves. But, you know, he 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 read it and he said, this is how I need to write the rest of everything forever. I need to write it like this. It's going to be shorthand. It's going to be haiku. I'm going to just, you know, write very briefly. And it's, it's going to, you know, and I have a theory about, you know, why, why Deadwood didn't work out for him beyond the pilot episode that he directed for David Miltz, because David Miltz is very much a, you know, that show is very much a writer's show. Hill's yes. very much a director's director, but, you know, he'll rewrite everything that he shoots. He's a writer first. You know, he's yes. Amazing writer. He wrote a movie called, Hickey and Boggs, that's one of the great Ellie Norris ever, ever made. Um, but 
you know, there's such, such an economy of the language here in the drivers. The first time he really implemented those theories of of haiku uh, in, 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 in writing. And, you know, he doesn't even give names to the characters. You know, yeah. Ryan O'Neill's character is the driver. Bruce Dern's character is the detective. Isabella Johnny and her English language debut is the player. And then there, there's the great Ronnie Blakely as the connection. You know, and the bad guys are glasses or teeth, you know, they're, they're physical. <laughs> action. So, you know, but he's, and the, the, the dialogue in the movie is similarly elliptical and strange you know it's almost like he's it's almost like a james O'Roy piece where you've taken out a lot of the connective tissue and all you have left is just the meat of yeah. it you know and and even the the heist plot is like confounding kind of yes. at the end of it, there's a sort of this like wait a minute she's and he's here and went and where the and the you know it's but that's not the point right and <laughs> yeah. you know when you're watching the driver it's like it's almost tactile now when you watch it in the theater, but in the 4K transfer too, there's, you're enfolded in the sort of velvet midnight of LA that doesn't really exist anymore. You know, I mean, it, it captures a place and a time. Where uh, there's no ambient light in the sky. Oh that's what God. I can't, that's what I can't get over. What I'm watching this and I'm going, there's no glow. There's no thrum. Like that's when you get to capture these things that are shot in real places and times. That's the thing that's so fascinating for me. I'm like, there's, where's all the ambient yellows? Like it, the city glows and here is the city glows. Like it's some kind of nuclear, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of drawing a nuclear wasteland or something like that. Cause the sky is lit by all these lights. And it's, I love what you said, that velvet blackness, that velvet midnight. It's so, it, it, it makes you continue to keep checking in like is this a made-up city like where is this like it's not it can't be la can it no especially for that period right there were, you would see movies like this out of the grindhouse in new york this is yes. what near the, the you know times square supposed to look like yes it's not what, what la looks like it's almost yeah. like when nicholas rogue went to venice to shoot don't look now what the hell's going on? This is not Venice, <laughs> um, you know. So, so, so Hill was doing that. It, you know, it, it it was Harry Kleiner was the screenwriter for for Bullet was that that was the screenplay that got him. He loved Point Blank. Bullet was the anyway. Sorry, I'm just remembering that because <laughs> Kleiner's also the guy who wrote Extreme Prejudice and then wrote you know Red Heat. He yes. he got to work with his hero times. But anyway, yeah. So he, he was he was he, he was emulating. Kleiner for this. He was doing all this night night shooting in LA, which people didn't do. And you know, he really wanted the feeling and the geography of being in a car chase, which I love because I think too often, you know, like the Fast and Furious movies, which I know are not supposed to be whatever, but you, you have no sense of geography. You know, I'm not I, I, I don't mean how you can, you know, go from Cairo to 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 Berlin in three minutes of Fast and Furious, but but I mean, even in the car chases, you don't know what's happening. Yes. You know, you don't know how far back is he. Where's that turn coming? What's going? You know, there's not that sense of is he you know, catching? Is he catching them? You know, or is yeah. he being caught? Who's like, winning? Who's, who's winning? Like, exactly. Yeah. The most yeah, recent example. The most recent exemplar that I think does this so well is the Jack Reacher car car chase. Yep. That's, yep. that's yep. an example of like the geography makes sense. The black of the night. You know what it is. The, that beautiful car gets bashed and dinged and you feel devastated <laughs> for it every moment yes. that it dings into a wall and Tom yes. Cruise is racing. It's like that took all the right lessons from Walter Hills, the driver. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The sense of speed, yes. the sense of uh, danger, you know, all that sense. And, you know, these little reactions that you have from, you know, Ryan O'Neill is not going to give you more reaction than he can, but, you know, like Isabella Johnny having like little gasps 
like yes. little involuntary you know when, when they're it's like oh man they're doing this this is actually real and <laughs> and you know I, I i love that the entire characterization of the driver is how he drives like you know when he's really offended he just destroys these bad guys cars you know car that you know you, you want me to show you if i'm a good driver Okay, here we go. And he blows off both of their doors. He gets them knocked off around <laughs> columns. He scrapes all the paint off. And then he's like, you want to hire me? You know, it's like, he's just this unbelievable jerk. But he, <laughs> he, he, he get the feeling, you know, about how good he is. And then, you know, he, again, he'll, he'll transplant this major Western trope, right? The gunslinger who all the young gunslingers from all over are coming to test themselves against this gunslinger. And then you have this young driver <laughs> and the driver show up at the end of it, wanting to test himself. And the driver shows mercy and says, ah, oh, get out of here, kid. <laughs> Knowing in the back of his mind that this guy's going to be coming back and getting him at, at, at some point, uh, probably because he let him live here. It's just a really, from, from, from the, the barest of barest of bones, you have this really rich um, essay about, masculinity again and 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 the way that women are sort of you know again a really really powerful woman in the player and you know ronnie blakely's the connection is a fascinating character because she's the, she breaks my heart every time in a lot of ways she's the the driver's handler oh my god and what happens to her is it's essentially just, rape and yeah. it's the same kind of rape that ripley uh, suffers in the first alien you know with yeah. the rolled up magazine but with the the, the gun and stuff and that, that kind of yeah it, uh, it, it's heartbreaking you know it's heartbreaking because it's you sort of get a full weight of the, the kind of power uh that rape is designed to rob a woman of you know because she's such a powerful figure but then Isabella Johnny is the smartest person in the movie again another powerful woman in uh Walter Hill movies but th there's yeah the the driver is just one of those movies that is a litmus test for me a little bit where you know i'll still like it if you don't like it but it's like tom waits <laughs> or, or, or 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 neil young or something it's like if you don't get it i also can't kind of explain it to you you know or or, or, or nick cave you know these the, if these you can't artists if you can't listen to neil young live at massey hall and hear him give his rough draft of about three of the greatest songs yeah. ever written and you can't be moved i don't know if i can help oh. you i'm not sure if I can help you, but it's okay. I can't help you hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help I you. I can't help you hear it. You know, I mean, I, I I respect that. You know, it's like people that don't like cilantro. It's like, I, I respect maybe you were born with a gene. I don't know. <laughs> but at, at the end of the day, I, 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 I can't, we don't actually talk the same language at a certain point. Yes. You know, it, it, if you can't appreciate, you know, Tom Waits' early stuff, even like Bone Machine, if you can't appreciate that, I respect you. That's fine. You know, we don't all have to like the same things, but we're kind of just different. We're kind of different. <laughs> and that's and okay. It's okay. But we're fine. different. Uh, hey, different strokes, right? <laughs> but the, the 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 thing about the, the driver, and I'm looking at my 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 framed driver poster over on the wall here as we're talking. The thing about the driver is like if you don't like the driver, that's cool, but we're not the same. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's and I can't really defend it because you can tell me well i don't like the way they talk it doesn't sound real yeah i don't like that and, and a, a lot of hills films fall into this category where it's like the, the warriors um and you know roger ebert didn't like the warriors and but everything he writes about the warriors that he didn't like he's right and those are the reasons i like it you know one of the things that he wrote <laughs> about the warriors was like you know it doesn't seem real these guys they're all spaces in the same direction when they talk and they take turns talking and it seems like a play and it seems like, you know, it's called Greek tragedy. And it just doesn't seem, I'm like, okay, but I like all those things. Yeah. I like that it doesn't seem real. I like that they're talking this way. 
I like that this whole movie looks like a jukebox. I think it's great. And the, I can't make you like that if, it, it, because you're right about it. You, you haven't miswatched it. No. Right. So when you watch The Drive, you're like, why do they talk like that? Why is there so little dialogue? Why don't I know what's happening here? What's, what's, what's going on? And, and it's like, well. You're just listing a whole bunch of, it's like looking at a menu and they're like, what would you like? Would you like less talking, elliptical, uh, not uh, like frenetic action that you kind of displaced, you kind of don't know what's going on. I'm like, you're saying things that turn me on. So let's have one of everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. don't throw me with a good time. But, but it's like, you know, when you read somebody Keats and they ask you why it doesn't rhyme, I'm like, man, all right. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, we're just different, you know? So yeah, I mean, but the the driver, you know, you you, you sort of touched on this. So many of his movies are so influential, you know, across decades and genre and time and space. You know, there's he he's influenced so many artists and so many films that you wouldn't think of initially, immediately, uh, as being having been influenced by Walter Hill. Indeed, we're influenced by Walter Hill, and, and it's like it, it was a fascinating process writing this book for me because I always liked his movies but it was much later that i connected that it was all the same person yes doing these movies you know how do you go from oh warriors is amazing and i also like 48 hours and i also like hate and have you seen this boxing movie called hard times it's like this is all the same person (laughs) and how how do you begin to and you're like my favorite science fiction movie of all time is alien and you're like alien exactly 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 same guy wrote this shit uh, have you seen Deadwood? It's amazing. It's the most amazing <laughs> thing I've ever seen on television. And uh, there's a, there's another boxing movie called Undisputed with Wesley Snipes. And it's like, yes, you know what? It's all the same guy. I mean, the reason prestige television kind of exists is because of Walter Hill. Yeah. You know, he's one of the producers on Tales from the Crypt, but he also did Broken Trail for AMC. It was the first major foray in the original programming. And immediately afterwards, they invested in Mad Men. You know, so, so you find... Walter Hill, the beginning of, of, of these movements where he's like, wait a minute, you know, we're really going to TV and we're really going to digital storytelling stuff. I'm going to make a movie called Trespass and I'm going to have both Ice Cube and Ice-T in it and they're going to be playing, you know, and I'm going to use a lot of handheld surveillance camera stuff and I'm going to be doing all this different, you know, you know, film stocks and everything to tell the story in 1992, you know, and right before, I just, it's, he's astonishing to me because of his humility. You go into the study, um, you know, in his home and his bookshelves are full. And it's obvious that they weren't full because of, you know, an interior designer, because, you know, they're, they're, because of the, uh, because the books are so specifically reflections of this film. And so the more that I was writing about him and the more that I was, you know, I was really stunned at the amount that I had to research and how stupid I felt throughout the whole course of it. You know, like, oh, I have to read Borgia. It was a big gap in my education. So I went back and I read all of Borgia and, you know, all the short stories. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. The way that Borgia has organized his career is sort of the same way in terms of genre that Hill has organized his career. You know, the way that he keeps naming characters Poe, and then he has a character in uh, the assignment that talks about a specific essay by Poe, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's 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 essentially the piece that Poe wrote about why the raven works. And um, <laughs> that becomes like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, you the, the Strother Martin character in Hard Times, your very first movie is named Poe. Have you been talking about this piece of critical analysis in all of your movies? 
and you know i brought that out to him and he's like you know you're the only person who's ever asked me that and then he moves on <laughs> right he didn't answer the question um but yes it is the you know the question is the answer so you know Hill's one of those guys that there's so many he left a lot of breadcrumbs in there and i think the moments where he does things like the director's cut of the warriors or when he does things you know where that that you're like wait why 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 did you do that i think he's really had this yearning as we all do to be known and to be understood as something other than what he's been thought to be you know i mean he's been he's been dismissed i think his entire career as one type of artist when in fact he's the other kind of artist um there's something very very fascinating and loaded about the things that he's doing and the conversations that he's having with us right at the course of his films and i'm just really glad that you know with all these new releases and and stuff like your program that um that he's get, get, he's getting his flowers now, you know. I, I think too often these great artists don't really get their flowers so after they're gone until they're gone. Yeah, but, I mean Tony know, Scott yeah. is another one that I think that uh, if if Tony could have heard how much people love him, yeah, um, uh, at the time, you know, you never know what could change the the course of history. Yeah, maybe we still have him. Maybe, maybe we still, still have him. But but honestly. This has been such a delight to talk to you about this. Um, this is one of my favorite conversations we've had ever because it's you on Walter Hill, which is, you know, in our personal lives and often out of recordings, I have my favorite conversations with you about Walter <laughs> Hill. Um, so it's it's so nice to, to hear you talk about it here. I'm so happy that your fingerprints are on this set and I'm so happy that all of these films are here for me to enjoy. So firstly, run out to get the Walter Hill box set from Imprint Films, run out to get the Walter, a Walter Hill film, Walter Shaw's book on Walter Hill, um, and just, just drink it in. It's absolutely a delight. So thank you, my friend. This has been an absolute pleasure as always to talk to you. Hey, and, I, and you will probably edit this out. I hope that you don't. I should have mentioned it earlier, so it would have been harder for you to edit out, but <laughs> I wouldn't have been involved with this box set without you, your, without your kindness and your generosity and your thoughtfulness. And reaching out to those guys and saying, hey, I know a guy that's working on a book right now and maybe you should talk to him about this because, you know, who the hell am I? And so uh, it really means a lot. Your friendship means a lot to me. Uh, it means so much for me to be able to champion movies that I love. You know, you as well, I know, obviously, you know, that's, that's all you do. And so um, <laughs> for, for, for me, and I don't mean that's all you do, but I mean, that's what you love to do. This is that's what, why that's we do my this. purpose. But yeah, it's all of our purposes if we're doing it right, right? It's champion the stuff that needs to be championed. And to, to have the opportunity to champion those films in a box set that's released, you know, for next gen for Walter Hill, that wouldn't happen without you. And so oh, I owe you so much. And I'm oh, so grateful. Honestly, I feel like sometimes if there's anything that I can do, it's like uh, everything that we've done on One Heat Minute Productions, I always think selfishly, what would make me happy and the <laughs> thing that would make me so happy i'm like i know a person that i would want to hear talk mm. about a walter hill movie and he's one of my dearest friends i don't care about any other consumer i am the consumer that i'm thinking about <laughs> and so if part of that is there so you know i you are so welcome and of course it makes the most sense in the world to make that connection because as soon as i'd heard that they were working on this a long time ago i was like well, you, there's only one human being on the planet that should be talking about this as far as I'm concerned. And I'm sure there are other people and clearly there are. There are some great historians and documenters and filmmakers and writers and phenomenal cultural commentators who have, have contributed to making these, uh, each of the individual releases in amongst a Titanic box set so wonderful and loaded for people who love film. Um, but 
you know, you're the best, my friend. Uh, you're you're one of the greats, and I and I love you dearly, and your friendship means the world to me. And that tiny little gesture for me was. Um, at the same time as that you love it, I was also being the most selfish consumer in the world going, <laughs> I would like Walter Chaw to commentate Walter Hill movies for my own personal amusement. And if I can make that happen for all consumers, then I'm very, very happy. So you're welcome. And I love you. And thank you so much for doing this again. Hey, and I love you back. my life I'm a lot like you were and it feels like such a 20th century movie it feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency and even then he might not have succeeded it's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost you can just watch fearless <laughs> not a week goes by that i don't think of the ending of gallipoli it's left a mark a uh, year of living dangerously uh you know and then something like last wave even that's so uh deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land the historic place you know i don't know that i'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 uh attached to it uh, as that and something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else is even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far. But I, I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way. And we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name why he isn't more in that rarefied air yes. because i think film for film he's one of our very best filmmakers he has brought his a game repeatedly to <laughs> many properties there are films of his that i hold very dear fearless uh you know uh, the mosquito coast i will fight somebody if they talk bad about the mosquito coast it's man i love that movie but in general i just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment in, in cinema history. I think 2003 when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That, that's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know, uh, <laughs> and, 
Yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything. And God bless you. But Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I I am not uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull, you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. <laughs>